0: As we saw last week, we've started a new series. We're going to be going through the first book of the New Testament. Um, it's called the Gospel of Matthew. And it's basically the story of Jesus the King. Um, how God became King in human form to rule the world and bring the world back to Himself. To bring the Kingdom of God to Earth so that we are outside of you know, Satan's Kingdom and we're actually living in the goodness of King Jesus. And so... We're going to have an epic two-year journey going through that. And last week, we read through, it's kind of like anticlimactic. You get ready, we're going to start Matthew's Gospel, and then it begins with, you know, some 42 names or whatever it was. And you're like, whoa, okay, genealogy, not the most exciting start. But last week, I hope, hope we saw just the importance of that genealogy, that Jesus um, is the son of Abraham. He, you know, he's, he's connected to this great Jewish lineage. More than that, he's the son of David. He's the the one who is the promised king. God made a promise to King David that he would always have a ruler on the throne, and Jesus fulfills that promise. And so we saw that you know this, we kind of went through the history of the Old Testament and we saw how Jesus actually fulfills that history, that he perfectly comes in and fulfills the prophecies, he fulfills the promise, he answers the question: Has God lied? With no, you know, has God forgotten his people? Has God forgotten his promises? No, look at Jesus. He's the answer to all those things. And now we come to our passage today in um, verses 18 through 25 of chapter 1. And we're going to see the origins of the king. That's the title of today's message, the origins of the king. In your Bible, it probably says the birth of the king. But actually the word birth there is the same word as verse 1 where it says the book of the genealogy of Jesus. It's the word Genesis and it means beginnings or origins. And so we're going to see the Genesis of Jesus. And really today's message, as we're going to see in a moment, is kind of part two to last week. But let's read it. We'll see what Matthew has to say. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. We're so used, by the way, we're so used to this story, aren't we? Because of Christmas. But, you know, let's peel that all back. And as we read it, get rid of the lights and the festivity and the snow and all of that. And let the text speak for itself. Because actually, this passage is not really about the birth of Jesus. It's about the origins of Jesus, as we'll see. Sorry, I keep getting ahead of myself. All right, here we go. I'll go back to reading. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she'd given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Would you pray with me? Our God and Father, we pray and ask that you may bless the preaching of your word this afternoon. In Jesus' name. Amen. I began last week by, you know, saying how frustrating it is when you get to the end of a movie that you didn't realize was part of a series and it abruptly ends. Um, I recounted how I was watching Star Wars and I was waiting for Luke Skywalker to appear in the later season and then suddenly it gets to the moment where Luke Skywalker's there and then boom, the movie's over and you get no resolution and no, you know, connection. And that's kind of like what we said last week, that's how the Old Testament ends. You're waiting for this great figure to appear and he just never does. Israel's in desolation. They're not really in their land. They're sort of exiles in their own place. And then we saw how the the sequel picks up and Matthew kind of continues the rest of the story. Episode number two, um, you might like. And we saw last week that he gives this massive list of names. And that Jesus is part of this story. And for, you know, for people who know Star Wars, when they're watching it, they see all the things happen like, oh my goodness, that happened and that happened and that happened. For Old Testament Jews, as they read through that name, that list of names, they would have, all these lights should have been going off in their head. Oh, he's the son of Abraham and he's the son of David. That means he's the Christ, he's the Messiah. That's fantastic. But just like the Old Testament sort of ended abruptly without fully finalizing well in a way i didn't share it with you last week but that genealogy actually ends in a way which is not a real ending because that genealogy actually ends with a problem you see that whole genealogy was about joseph's line jesus being a descendant of joseph jesus coming from this great line from abraham through to david all the way down to joseph the problem is joseph isn't jesus's dad so how can jesus be this promised one if joseph isn't his dad that's the problem that matthew really picks up on it's sort of hard to see but if you read verse 16 again it says this and jacob the father of joseph the husband of mary of whom jesus was born and it's very emphatic that actually he's saying that jesus was born of mary not of joseph And so now this next story is really episode two. It's part two of what Matthew is trying to show his readers that Jesus actually fits into this story perfectly, but he has to explain it. How does Joseph actually get into the story? He's going to show us not just that Jesus is legally attached to Joseph, but he's going to show us more of who Jesus is. We saw last week that he's the son of Abraham, which means all nations can come which is beautifully represented in this room, that he's the son of David, that he's the king, as we've expressed already. But we're also going to see that he's the savior and that he is Emmanuel. So Matthew's going from the wide angle lens to focus in. He's going from leaving the story open. He's going to close the story. And we're going to see three things about who Jesus is today to finalize the story. Three points. Three points. And the one main message I want us to see this is this. Knowing who Jesus is, truly is, changes everything. Here's what Matthew is going to show us in this passage and throughout the whole rest of the gospel. Knowing who Jesus really is changes everything. If we could close that door a little bit, it's super glary on my, you know, I want to still look at you guys without being blinded. It's just because Mick is really holy. And there's just this emanation of holiness coming through. Although it didn't really, yeah. It's still shining. There you go. That's Mick. Wow, that's awesome. So three points today. Point number one, Jesus is the Christ. That's one thing he wants to show us. Point number two, Jesus is the Savior. And point number three, Jesus is God. So let's jump into point number one. Jesus is the Christ. If you are like me, every year you get around to rugby league season. You get excited. I love rugby league season. And I don't watch a whole lot of games. I still have a lot of love for rugby league, but I just don't make the time to watch the games. But I always make time for State of Origin. You know, State of Origin comes up, which is when the Queensland players versus the New South, New South Welsh players, I guess you could say. And I, whatever's on, I always cancel it. If we have Life Group on, cancel it. We're, do, we're watching State of Origin. Sorry, it's just for me, it's, you know... It's it's really good. I love it. It's my favourite sporting event of the year. But every time set of Origin comes up, there's always this question of like, why is that guy playing for that team? You know, how come Greg Inglis, who was born in Kempsey, who played all of his younger years as a footballer in New South Wales, playing for Queensland and destroying us every time? It's the question of his origin. And how does it work? And, you know, technically it works because of some rule, some weird rule. And now they've got this massive flowchart of how to figure out where each player comes from. Well, in a weird way, that's sort of what Matthew is doing in in this narrative story of Joseph. We look for like Christmas in here, but Matthew's not trying to give us Christmas. Matthew's trying to prove that Jesus's origin is legit. He can actually play for Queensland, even though it looks like he should be playing for New South Wales. So let's read the story and see how Matthew does it. Let's read verse 18 again. Now, the birth or the origin, the genesis of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So this is his hint. I'm telling you part two. Part one was genealogy. Part two is this. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, drama is immediately entered into this story. We have a young couple. Probably Joseph is something like eighteen or nineteen. Mary is likely thirteen or fourteen. In ancient Israelite culture, um, she would have been, you know, engaged to Joseph from a very young age. Their families would have cooperated and said, "All right, well, you marry our daughter. Here's the bride price. You you pay for her, etc." In that sense, to kind of the economic transaction was done. Once she reached of age, they would get betrothed, which means they were legally married. But not yet officially married. So to be betrothed means you would actually call your fiancé husband or wife. That's how serious it was. They would wait one year after being betrothed, and then they would actually have a marriage ceremony, and every the deal would be done, they'd be married forever. Enter the dilemma. They're betrothed, they're in this season of one year waiting. And Mary comes back from visiting her cousin Elizabeth, who's giving birth to John the Baptist. She comes back with a bump. And, you, you know, in that, you know, you can only hide that for so long. And the text says that Mary was found to be with baby. And could you imagine the dilemma for Joseph in this moment? The girl that has been arranged for him to marry, to be the wife to his children, uh, the, no, the mother to his children, his wife, his, you know, his helper, the life that they've envisioned together is seemingly all coming apart. She's got a bump. And he knows, well, wasn't me, you know, like we haven't done anything. She comes back mysteriously after three months pregnant. And so he, you know, he's torn. Um, The text says that he's a a just man. He's a man that, you know, seeks to do God's will. And we even see he's in this dilemma because he he doesn't want to shame her. uh, Because in that culture, for her to come back pregnant would have been potentially, you know, incredibly shaming for the rest of her life. For her to cheat on her husband and commit adultery, people might not have spoken to her again in her town and in her community. And that's exactly what it looks like has happened. So what's Joseph going to do? He's stuck. Here's his bride that he wants to be married to, but she's pregnant. He knows it wasn't him, which leaves only one other option in his mind. He's been cheated, shamed, and made a fool of. Hard to even imagine what it would feel like to be in joseph's shoes, or Mary's for that matter let's look at verse 19 to see what happens. and Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. You see, he, he weighs up the options and he, he considers and ponders and he thinks, okay. <laughs> I like Mary, you know, she's a good girl. I don't want her to be shamed publicly, but I can't marry her. Because if I marry her, that's me saying we actually broke faith with God and we we actually slept together before being married, which in that culture, you know, as opposed to our culture, was a big, big no-no. And so his decision is, I have to do what is right, divorce her, because she's cheated, but I want to do it in a way which preserves compassion and justice. I'm going to do it quietly. I'm going to do it in a way which doesn't publicly shame her. The beautiful heart of Joseph. See his tenderness and his compassion. It's cool to think of a man like that raising Jesus. It's just an interesting dynamic. So what happens? Verse 20. But as he considered these things... Now note, he didn't rush... He pondered, he waited, perhaps he prayed, and perhaps he was praying so long that he fell asleep. And behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. And note that little link there. He calls him son of David. He's bringing up this Messiah idea, this this promise of God idea. It's not normal to call someone that. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the holy spirit she will bear a son and you shall call his name jesus for he will save his people from their sins as joseph is in this existential dilemma he sleeps and has this epic dream and i don't know if an angel has ever come to you in a dream hasn't to me yet now, this is the, actually the first of four angelic dreams that Joseph has. He comes and calls him son of David, which may have started stimulating this, this thought of Messiah, potentially. He tells him to not fear. Obviously, Joseph is in a lot of angst and fear. And he reveals this truth that Joseph couldn't have known, that the baby isn't from another man, is actually from God himself, from the Holy Spirit, which, you know has never happened before. So it would have taken a lot for Joseph to process all that knowledge. How? What the? You know, I I don't get it. And then he goes, the angel goes on to say, not only, you know, is she pregnant from the Holy Spirit, but you'll bear a son, which is awesome moment, you know, because when I found out I was having a son, it was just a different experience of finding out I was having a daughter. I was like, yeah, yes, a son. So Joseph had all that going on. And then the the angel tells him that he is to name him, to take Mary as his wife and then to name his son. You know, it'd be just impossible to get your head around what Joseph is experiencing in this moment. Such conflicting thoughts, such, you know, strange realities are happening. You know, sometimes we just read over the bible and think oh yeah well obviously he's just going to marry her and have jesus and that's what happens but do you think anyone in his town and village is going to believe this story i don't think so for joseph he still has a major ethical dilemma on his hands does he obey the angel of the lord or does he disobey well let's read on what does he do verse 24 when joseph woke from sleep He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she'd given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. I love how it seems as though Joseph is utterly transformed by this angelic visit. He goes from pondering and thinking and deciding what should I do. And then immediately, it seems, after the dream, he decides, I will take her as my wife. I must do what the Lord has told me to do. He makes this massive decision to bear the shame, to bear the sideways looks, to bear the reproach in that small town community. Everyone's going to think, yeah, you say, Joseph, it was an angel, but we know what really happened. By marrying Mary, you're admitting that you guys got together before being married. So at the end of verse 25, the story is rounded out. And Matthew says this, He knew her not until she'd given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. What Matthew is actually doing here is completing the origin story of Jesus. He's explaining how can Jesus, who's not from Joseph, still be the Christ the coming king, the one to rule and save the world. And it's by legal adoption. By Joseph taking Mary as his wife, and by Joseph taking on the fatherly role of naming the son, he is adopting Jesus into his family line. And by so doing that, Jesus' line is aligned with the genealogy that we saw last week and the He can play for Queensland, in short. You know, that's basically what Matthew is trying to say. Jesus is truly able to be the long-awaited Christ. He is in the line of David, therefore, he has all authority. He's the son of Abraham, he's the king. And as we look at this, I just I thought it was amazing to see Joseph's faith and courage. It's astounding. It's something I'd never really seen in all the Christmas story because we just move through it so quickly. And it made me realize this. Knowing who Jesus really is changes everything. When the angel reveals that this baby is not just any old baby in the womb, that it's actually the Christ, the Savior, the Emmanuel, God with us, It radically changes Joseph's obedience and his decisions. He decides that now he's going to bear the shame. He's going to bear the ridicule. He's going to bear the cost. He's going to take the wife and have the son. He's going to obey the angel of the Lord. Do you know who Jesus truly is? Are you aware of his true identity? That he is the Christ that he is the son of David, that he is the son of Abraham? And does it impact the way you really live your life? Do you have those moments of radical obedience because you're so aware that I must speak for him, I must stand for him, I must live for him, no matter what anyone says, because you cannot deny him once you know his true identity? In a small way, that is what Matthew is showing us in this point that not only is Jesus able to play for Queensland, though that's a disgusting image to think of, he would definitely play for New South Wales if he's playing origin. He is of the right line. But that knowing who Jesus really is changes the way that you live. It changed Joseph and it ought to change us. But that's not all that Matthew is showing us. Okay, so part one, there was so many titles as we've seen, Abraham, David, Christ. And he's completed that picture here But he's revealed two more identities of who Jesus is that ought to change the way that we live. Let's look at the next one. That was point number one. Jesus is the Christ. like He's actually able to be that because Joseph adopts him. Point number two, Jesus is the Savior. I love that name of Jesus, Savior. Let's read verses 20 and 21 again. But as he, that's Joseph... Again, it's so easy to quickly run over those terms during Christmas. But let's reflect on them. To name him Jesus is to link him to you know, this great expectation of a deliverer. As we said last week, the name Jesus is actually the Hebrew name Joshua. If you know the story of the Old Testament, Joshua is the one that took Israel into the promised land. God's people, God's land, God's blessing. Joshua brought that about. So to name Jesus Joshua is to signify this great new deliverer who's going to deliver his people and save them and bring them into a promised land. In fact, during that time, a lot of people called their kids Jesus or Yeshua in Hebrew um, because it was a way of sort of signifying hope. You know sometimes how people in lower socioeconomic scenarios often call their kids names like hope and destiny because they're in the darkness, they're in hopeless situations and they hope for their kids that they'll have a better future. In that time, people did the same things. Rome had taken over Israel. They didn't have all this grandeur and glory and blessing, so they'd name their kids Joshua or Jesus in the hope of a deliverer. But here is the Jesus, the real one. Because this isn't just a generic name of salvation or generic hope. The angel makes it very specific as to what jesus has come to do there's many different ideas about who jesus is and what jesus has come to do but according to the new testament according to the angel this is what jesus has come to do he will save his people from their sins jesus has a very specific destiny and purpose to fulfill he's come as a savior And not to save them from Rome, not to bring about just a happy and peaceful life, not to bring about a great moral code, to save us from oppression. More than that, Jesus has come to save us from our greatest enemy, sin. And not just from sin in general, but save his people from their sins. The angel is now making this problem that we need help from very personal. Our sins, we could say. See, this word sin here is a word which means two things, really. Sin is both a power and an action. See, sin is an action. It's the bad things that we do. That's the common thing we think of when we think of sin. Like, I did a sin. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. But sin is also a power. Romans 6 talks a lot about that. It's actually this force of evil which looms over all creation. That when Adam and Eve took the fruit, the reign of sin came into the world. That each one of us is born under this power of sin. No matter how blessed we are, No matter how good we are, we are all born into the curse and corruption of this dark power, sin. It's a force which rules the world and it's an action which we do. And so when sin enters the world in force and in action, defilement, division, hatred and jealousy, slander murder, rape, adultery, filthiness, and exploitation come with it. Destruction and disease, disaster and toil. The whole world, each and every one of us, is born under the power of sin and its control. Its dominion reigns over the heart of every man and woman. Just look at your family history. Go back far enough through your genealogy, maybe living or dead, and you will uncover skeletons where sin reigns, where sin destroys, where sin ruins. It's like um, if you've ever had a rental property, you live in it for a year and you think, yeah, we're pretty clean and neat and tidy people. Then you take everything out. And the last thing you often do is clean the walls, right? And when you get to the walls, you think, you're like, I'm not a dirty person. And then you look at the walls up close, and there's just mess all over them. Chips and stains and food and all types of things. You're like, oh my goodness, I couldn't even see that before. That's what it's like when sin is exposed in our lives. There's just more stains and chips and brokenness than we could ever imagine. And when you realize that, you think, how am I ever going to get my bond back? You're (laughs) You're scrubbing, you're painting, you're puttying. Well, when the angel says that Jesus has come to save his people from their sins, he's showing a way that they can get their bond back. We've messed up the world. We've messed up the walls of our life, personally, corporately, in our history. And so Jesus comes. This announcement is an announcement of invincible hope. As he conquers, he's come to conquer the power of sin. And our actions of sin. When Jesus dies on the cross, he destroys the power of sin in our life and he pays the penalty for our sin. That we may be saved. And this was all prophesied. Read Isaiah 53.5 with me. This is one of those ancient texts which predicted what the Messiah would do. He was pierced for our transgressions note the ours he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed Joseph hears this angelic announcement that Jesus has come to save his people from their sins he comes as a person to save persons. He comes personally to save individual persons. We need to take personal responsibility for our sin. And when we own it, we can have Jesus as our personal Savior. Note how it says it's not just He came to save people in general from sin. But Jesus came to save His people, those whom He's chosen, those whom He has in mind, His sheep, the shepherd will shed His blood so that you and I, if you put your faith in Christ, can become one of His people. Knowing who Jesus is changes everything. If you are not yet a follower of King Jesus, if you have not yet admitted your own personal responsibility for your sin, you can turn to Jesus today. Admit it and receive salvation from all of your sin. The power will be broken and the penalty will be paid. And for those of us who already have repented and come into the kingdom of God, don't let it become boring and old news that you are part of His people. And He, the Savior, has saved you from your sins. It's wonderful. It changes our life now. And it will change our eternity. And that's why Matthew wants to show us that Jesus has not only got the right origin, He's not just the Christ, He fits into the line of David, but He is Savior the last thing he wants to show us in this passage is that Jesus is God. Point number three, Jesus is God. Now, for many, the virgin birth of Christ is one of the most mysterious things in all the Bible and one of the hardest parts to believe. I was chatting to a friend this week about the passage um, and he just said, sorry, I I cannot, I just can't get on board. I, I believe in science. I just think there's no way that this is possible. For many, this is a tap out moment. You know, people can maybe handle, talk about rules and faith and following Jesus and teachings and morals. But the fact that Jesus is born from a virgin... That just seems impossible. Of course, last year you saw Kyle you know, from that radio show. He made all these comments about how you're just an idiot if you think Mary isn't lying about where you know, Jesus came from. It's a popular sentiment. But it was no easier, it's no easier to believe in the virgin birth now than it would have been back then. It wasn't like that. which are just like, oh yeah, it's so normal. that you know, <laughs> Just virgin births, so it's just popping out all the time. Now, in fact, Matthew does not shy away from it at all. He emphatically asserts it multiple times, this startling truth, that the baby inside Mary, the Savior of the world, is from God alone. Look at in verses 18, 20, and 22. He says this, before they came together, so before Joseph and Mary got married, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. In verse 20, the angel says, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And again, Matthew wants to make it really explicit. This is no like trickery here. This is to fulfill an ancient prophecy in verse 23 from Isaiah chapter 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Matthew is emphatically asserting that Jesus does not come from Joseph. It's a miracle. It's a virgin birth. It's hard to believe. It's hard to get on board with this for many, I know. But just when you thought that was hard, Matthew makes it even harder. Read verse 23 again with me. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. So not only is a virgin giving birth to a baby, but Matthew is now claiming this baby is Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew here is making a very unsubtle and outrageous claim. Jesus is God. <laughs> we, we, you know, if you've been in church a long time, yeah, we all believe that, right? But just think about it for a second. Jesus, this little baby, this bump in Mary's womb, is God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Designed stars and galaxies and moons and you know molecular biology and everything. And there he is, wrapped up in potentially a 14-year-old girl. So if you thought the virgin birth was tricky, that's nothing compared to God becoming man. Theologian Wayne Grudem says it like this. It is by far the most amazing miracle of the entire Bible. Far more amazing than the resurrection and more amazing even than the creation of the universe. The fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal Son of God could become man and join himself to a human nature forever. So that infinite God became one person with finite man will remain for eternity the most profound miracle in all the universe. Matthew is stretching us today. This is mystery of mysteries. So why does it matter? You know, assume it's true. If you struggle to believe this type of thing, why does it matter? Why why not just skip this part of Jesus' history? Why not just cover it over as a gospel writer? He has freedom, right? He can do whatever He wants. He doesn't have to include this. Why does Jesus have to be born of a virgin? Why not just come just out of nowhere? How does it all work? Well, in order to save us, in order to be Jesus' Savior, He had to become one of us. The reason why Jesus had to be born into the world is that in order to save us, He had to be with us, to become one of us. Craig Blomberg says in his great commentary, You see, as fully God, Jesus was able to pay the eternal penalty for our sins, for which finite humanity could not atone. As fully human, He could be our adequate representative and substitutionary sacrifice. By being born of a virgin, He is God and man. He is God with us and God for us. So how do we respond to such lofty truths? What do we make of this? The fact that Jesus is born of a virgin. He's God incarnate in the flesh. He's really God and He's really man. What good news. How does this change our life today? Hebrews 14, uh, four, Sorry, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 leads us in a great application to this truth. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. By becoming one of us, Jesus is able to sympathize with our weakness. He knows who we are. He's able to represent us perfectly to the Father because He knows what it's like to be a human here on earth, yet without sin. And so Jesus takes the transcendence of God and makes it imminent. He takes God who is out there and brings Him here. And he takes us who is here and finite and are unable to be with a holy God, and He brings us into the transcendent, holy place of God. We can, because of Jesus, approach the throne of grace and find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Are you alone in this season? You're lonely? Experiencing a a great need for help, a desire for a change or power. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He promises, if you follow him, to be with you. So approach him. Approach the throne of grace and ask for help because God has become one of us to be with us so that we can experience grace in our time of need. Are you gripped by sin and shame? Is condemnation and confusion reigning in your life? He's able to sympathize with your weakness because He is God with us. He knows what temptation feels like, though He's never given in. And because He's one. And amongst us, and is our Savior, it actually enables us to come and find the grace and help we need to deal with our sins. He calls and says, Come to me, approach me, I invite you. He's God with us, never to leave us. The transcendent God becomes man. So that finite man can approach the transcendent God and be one with Him. It's mystery of mysteries. It's wonder upon wonder. It's impossible to wrap our heads around it. It's challenging to believe in. But this is what Matthew wants us to see. That this is no ordinary Savior for the people of Israel. This is God coming to get His people back forever. Knowing who Jesus is changes everything. Matthew's now put his piece together. His movie is somewhat complete, so to speak. Jesus is the son of Abraham. All nations can come to him. He's the son of David. Therefore, he's the king and he has all authority. Jesus is the Christ. He really is in the line of David through Joseph. He is the Savior who will save His people from their sins. And He is God with us, present through His Holy Spirit at all times. Knowing who Jesus is changes everything, both now and forever. Friends, approach Him. Turn to Him. Look to Him. Ask of Him. And you will experience His grace and help, no matter your circumstances. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, King of heaven, ruler of all things, we thank you that (laughs) mystery of mysteries, grace upon grace... You sent your son after us to take on flesh, to walk the streets, to eat the food, to get tired and weary, to even go so far as to walk the lonely road to a cross, to feel pain and be tortured as a man to save men. And we thank you that he was, your son was you, is you, is God eternal. And that he perfectly represents us in his death and in his intercession. Lord, I pray and ask that you would change our lives. That we would know these truths. That they wouldn't just be things we tick. Yep, believe that. But like Joseph, we would act with radical change and obedience. That we would represent him. That we would live for him. That we would draw near to him in our day to day. We proclaim as one people, Jesus, you are King. You are our King. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.